I love all those patriotic songs anyway. And I want to thank my brother Ed Murphy for posting the colors today. That was awesome. Thank you. And all of our veterans, really. Thank you. I didn't prepare a specific message for Veterans Day, but I think any of you that have been veterans know the importance of being prepared in any situation that you're in, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today once we get into the lesson. And so I wanted to start out by asking you guys today, do, uh, do any of you like scary stories? Anybody? Okay. I, I don't particularly. You know, a, a good mystery thriller, you know, sure, but I've never really understood why people read horror stories or watch those scary movies. I mean, I guess maybe it's, you know, to, to get goosebumps or uh, to get your, your blood pressure elevated or, or, or to get a knot in your stomach, right? And anyway, none of the scary stories that I can think of really make very good sermon illustrations, except for maybe this one story that I'm going to share with you about two little boys who were standing behind the church door as a newly married couple were coming back down the aisle to start their lives together. And the one boy says to the other, do you want to see me scare them real good? The other boy says, yeah, do it, do it, do it. So the first little boy leaps out from behind the back of the church door, runs down the aisle, grabs the groom around the legs and yells, Daddy, Daddy, it's so good to see you. <laughs> Talk about unexpected and frightening, right? <laughs> But, you know, that's, that's pretty much what we're going to be talking about today uh, in our text that comes to us in our lectionary from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, because it's also the story of a wedding with a surprise ending. And depending on which of the characters in the story that you identify with, possibly a very frightening turn of events. So we're going to be opening God's Word, Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 25. So hear now the words of the true and living God. Jesus said, then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps. But the other five were wise enough to take along extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by a shout, Look, the bridegroom's coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps. And then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourself. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Called back, believe me, I, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. And I want to give you a little context for Jesus' delivery of this parable, so let me back up just a little bit to kind of set the scene for you. In our text from last week, from chapter 23, we were looking at a sermon that our Lord delivered while he was preaching inside the temple courts. And then if you go ahead and look at chapter 25, we see that our Lord leaves the temple 
and he heads out to the Mount of Olives. And as Jesus is, is walking and talking with his men through these dusty streets and away from the temple complex, the disciples call the Lord's attention to all this architecture that's around them with all of its snow-white marble and its, uh, its accents of gold. And, and they're quite naturally proud and fascinated in the same way that we can be and the same way that we do marvel over those stately buildings in our U.S. capital. But the disciples' interest in these buildings would have gone far deeper than just pride in their cultural identity because these, these buildings, this temple, represented the center of the universe for them and the very presence of God. And so they kind of tap, tap, tap Jesus on the arm and say, Lord, look at all of this. Look at this. Expecting him to share their fascination and admiration. So you know they were really shocked when Jesus answered and said to them, do you see all these buildings? I'll tell you the truth, they will all be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And evidently, Jesus' comments stunned them to silence because there's no record of how they responded. And they may have even been a little bit afraid to ask any further questions because in their minds, a world without a temple was a world that they didn't want to live in. And a concept that was almost too impossible for them to imagine. But when they finally got out of the city, they finally get up to the Mount of Olives, they got up the courage to come to Jesus and dig a little deeper into what he had said to them. So they, they say here in, uh, in verse 3, Later Jesus said on the Mount of Olives, his disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? And they were saying, Jesus, if the temple is gone, that must mean that the world is at an end and you're about to set up your kingdom. So tell us, Lord, just tell us what to look for so we'll be ready. So we won't be taken by surprise by all of these momentous events. And so to answer their question, he kind of launches into a two-chapter sermon where he gives to these men and to us the signs of his return and the birth pangs that are going to signal for us the end of the age. And if you read through them, Jesus really goes into a lot of detail here, a lot of detail to stress the importance of being ready for his return and not just to be ready in a passive kind of sense, but to be actively and expectantly anticipating him to show up at any time. And that's the reason Jesus gives this parable of the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins where our Lord likens the kingdom of heaven to a wedding. And just like we talked about in Sunday school today, Jesus used the medium of parables quite a lot because it's really just a simple story, usually of a, a common event, a common experience that used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. And weddings are pretty common events, right? Weddings are pretty common. When first century Israel, although weddings were common in occurrence, they were uncommon by today's standards in not only their length, but in the way they kind of highlighted the whole community as not only all the family members and friends, but all of the neighborhood and the townspeople would be called out to get involved in this great festive event. And the wedding custom was that the, the bride and groom would be formally betrothed, and then there was this gap of time, uh, really, before they actually started living together as husband and wife, often about a year or so, where the husband would build their home, prepare a place for them. And when he had finished it, whenever that was, and he had everything ready for the bride, he'd arrive some evening 
at a time that only he knew in this festal procession and meet up with the bridesmaids and together with his bride go home to a reception party that would mark the start of their new lives together. And everyone in this procession was expected to carry his or her own light, a light that would either be a a clay lamp with a a small oil tank and a wick, or maybe a a stick with rags dipped in oil and wrapped around the end that would need to be re-soaked to maintain the flame as those outer layers burned up. And as we kind of take a look at this parable, even though there's been some debate as to all the meaning of the words that our Savior used, at least one aspect of this parable can be known with absolute certainty, and that is that the bridegroom is Almighty God in the person of Jesus Christ. Because all throughout the Old Testament, God pictures himself as a husband for Israel. Like in Isaiah chapter 54, we read, Fear not, for you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there's no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of widowhood where your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He's your redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. And you know, among the the gospel writers, Christ is continually pictured as a bridegroom of the church. Like if you get a chance to read later uh, John chapter 3 or Mark chapter 2. So we know who Jesus has in mind for the bridegroom. What about the bride and the bridesmaids? Who does he have in mind for them? One commentator has said here, the spirit and the bride signify one and the same, namely all the elect of God, whom Christ loved from all eternity, and who are espoused to him as a chaste virgin and as a bride adorned for her husband. That's us. That's the church. We're, We're the bride of Christ. We're the bridal party. But if that's the case, then we have to ask, well, why the division? Why are why are five of the bridesmaids wise and why are five foolish? And just who are these separate groups, these five wise and five foolish? I mean, they all knew the groom, right? So if they were all believers, then why the division? Are there two different groups of people within the congregation of God? And if so, what distinguishes them from one another? We're going to get back to that, so hang on to that thought for a minute, because there's some other important elements of the story that I want to share with you, like the lamps, for instance, whether they're full or empty and the oil necessary to fuel those lamps and that resulting light that it produces. And I want to start by looking at the oil with you just briefly. Because the symbolism of oil becomes clear in the very beginning of the Old Testament when we read about Israel's very first high priest, Aaron. Remember Aaron, who was anointed with oil to concentrate uh, to consecrate him and his sons to the service of God in the tabernacle. And that comes to us from Exodus chapter 30. The Lord said, anoint Aaron and his sons also consecrating them to serve me as priests. And say to the people of Israel, this holy anointing oil is reserved for me from generation to generation. It must never be used to anoint anyone else. You must never make any blend like it for yourselves. It is holy, and you must treat it as holy. And that's because the office the high priest held was a holy position before the Lord. And by the anointing, these priests were set apart and dedicated to God for a holy purpose. Remember, too, that the kings of ancient Israel were always anointed with oil as a way of God designating the man of his choice. That's why we read in Psalm 98, that's what it's talking about when it says, Long ago, you spoke in a vision to your faithful people. 
You said, I've raised up a warrior. I've selected him from among the common people to be king. I have found my servant David and have anointed him with my holy oil. So in this context, the the words holy oil could just as well be thought of as Holy Spirit. Because the only way that we can be made holy and designated and set apart and declared holy is by God and by the use of him sanctifying us. And then, of course, there's the most noted use of oil in the Old Testament, and that's the pure virgin olive oil that was used to light the golden lampstand, the the menorah, the, the candlestick that stood in the holy place. It was, if you remember reading from the scriptures, was hammered out of one piece of pure gold and had a a central branch from which three branches extended on two sides to form a total of seven. So these seven lamps holding oil with the wicks on the top of all of these branches, and the priests were instructed to keep them lit continually. Leviticus 24 tells us, The Lord said to Moses, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil of pressed olives for light, to keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle, in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you and must be observed from generation to generation. So this lampstand was the only source of light in the holy place, and without it, the priests would have been groping around in the dark. And just as the lampstand was placed in God's temple so the priests could approach him, Jesus the Bible tells us, is the true light that gives light to every man. He came into the world so that we could see God through the Holy Spirit and not have to live in spiritual darkness anymore. And so that same connection of oil being represented as the Holy Spirit providing the light of Christ shows up in this parable today of the wise and foolish virgin. It points out the reason for the division, the reason why five were wise and five were foolish. It's the supply of oil the supply of oil that distinguishes one group from the other, right? The the five virgins who have that supply represent those of us who are born again, who are looking with eagerness for Christ's return and have that saving faith and that determination that no matter what comes, be it length of time for his return or adverse circumstances, when Jesus comes, we're going to be ready. And the five virgins without the oil represent those nominal Christians, fake churchgoers who enjoy the benefits of the Christian community without any true love for Jesus Christ. They're more interested in the party than in the point of the party, which is to meet the bridegroom. That's why we read today in verse 5, when the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were aroused by a shout, look, the bridegroom's coming, come out and meet him. The bridesmaids got up and prepared their lamps, and then the five foolish ones asked the others, Please give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some for yourself. So you see, these were the folks that were hoping that their association with true believers would be their ace in the hole when Christ came. That because they filled a pew or served on a committee or that their grandpa was a pastor, that somehow that association would get them into the kingdom. But brothers and sisters, the truth is that you and I can never trust in someone else's spiritual readiness. We can only trust in our own. Being ready for the kingdom at our Lord's return or should he tarry at our death is our personal responsibility because brothers and sisters, when the Lord comes, I'm going with or without you. 
And when I was working on this message, it kind of reminded me, this whole parable actually kind of reminds me of when I was a kid, and, and I think I've told you before, our whole extended family grew up on and around my grandfather's dairy farm. So my brother and I spent a lot of time playing with our older cousins, who unfortunately for us at the time were all girls. And, and, and my brother and I weren't always so keen on that. And this one particular Saturday, my parents had to go somewhere that we couldn't go with them. So they left us with our you know, three older cousins at their end of the farm. And they insisted that we play hide and seek. Insisted that we play hide and seek with them. So we, we reluctantly agreed. But to make it more fun, we proposed that all three of them should close their eyes and count. And the two of us would hide. And that the three girls could try to find the two of us. So they close their eyes and start counting. But before they make it to five, we, my brother and I see our father's truck coming around the top of the hill. So instead of hiding, we decided to just go home. And needless to say, the three girls never found us. Because as hard as they looked and as much as they wanted to find us, we were already safely at home with our father propped up on the couch with cartoons and a bowl of cereal. And brothers and sisters, one of these days, Christ is coming back. He's coming back at a time we don't expect. And those of us who are part of the family are going home, and the rest of the world is still going to be standing around with their eyes closed. And they are going to get the shock of their lives. That's why we read, Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. We call back, I don't know you. And I don't know about you, but I can't think of a much scarier ending for a story than for Jesus to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. So I have to ask you the question today, does he know you? Does he know you? Are, are your lamps trimmed and burning? Is your heart full of the Holy Spirit? Or, or are your insides as empty as a drum? And I'm sorry, Brother Ed isn't back there today, but I know some of you heard me say, and, and Brother Ed, if he was here, would testify that I'm no mechanic. So I, I tell people all the time, if you ever see my legs sticking out from underneath a vehicle, please dial 911 immediately, because you can be absolutely certain I am not under there working on it, right? You'll know that I've been hit by a car. And so when we first moved, back before Ed started keeping our cars on the road, Vicki took her car to the shop because it was making this funny noise, and before long, the mechanic came back with one of those little pint-sized water bottles, the little half-sized ones, with about a quarter inch of black sludge in the bottom, and informed my wife that that was the source of her vehicle issue because that was all the oil that was left inside it. And it was nobody's fault, obviously, but our own. So needless to say, that experience left me feeling quite foolish and very embarrassed. Uh, but it was a lesson learned. A lesson learned. One that really fits the spirit of our parable because you and I, before we drive off back out into the world today, need to ask ourselves if we've had our oil checked. Have we had our oil checked? Are you topped off or are you on empty? And if you don't know, nobody else can help you. You've got to do the work for yourself. That's why Philippians 2 tells us, Paul writes, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And notice I didn't say work for, like you could earn it, but work out your salvation and make sure you've actually received it. Like when, when my kids have to do their math homework, it's not enough just to show the teacher they have the answer. 
Their teacher wants to see the work that proves the answer. And in the same way, we need to be asking ourselves, are the fruits of the Spirit working themselves out through my life? Am I producing more fruit today than I was a year ago? Am I producing more fruit today than I was five years ago? Do I have love and and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control? doesn't mean we'll always be perfect in all of those things, but do we see more and more of them continually in ourselves? And it's your job and my job to verify that our lamps are full of oil, that we're continually growing in the love of God by the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, one of these days we're going to find out is all that we're full of is just darkness and sludge, and that our, our hearts will reveal us as foolish and faithless and empty. And then no matter how loud you shout or how hard you pound on heaven's doors, it's going to be too late. But today is the day. Now is the time. Ask yourselves, is Jesus Christ real to me? Do I honestly believe not only is he necessary, but that he's really enough? And that he's actually coming back. Because one of these days, one of these days, suddenly an unannounced Christ is returning. So make yourself a promise today. A promise to keep your lamp full. A promise to stay in the spirit and the word. Keep your mind and what you can do to be ready and to help others be ready so that when, not if, when our Lord comes back, he's going to look at you and say, Beloved, I've always known you. I've always known you. The marriage feast is ready. Are you? Let's pray together. God, our Father, we know this parable means, Lord, that unbelief can gain entrance into the church, but it can never gain entrance into Christ. So we ask you, Lord, to to lend your Holy Spirit. I ask you, Father, by that same Spirit to open hearts, open minds with the truth of your gospel, that you would save those that you're calling to, Lord. And so we trust in you now, asking you, Father, to be with us as we go back out into the world and make us salt and light in this community and make us a blessing in your name. Through Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.